0: Welcome back to The Liz Wheeler Show. Sign up for my brand new email newsletter at lizwheeler.com slash email. That's lizwheeler.com slash email. The Department of Justice has notified Hillary Clinton that she should expect to be indicted in the coming days and weeks for mishandling classified information, information that she stored on her private email server, her homebrew email server, that she kept in a bathroom closet in New York, on which... She kept information that was classified at the highest levels. I'm talking about information associated with human intelligence sources. Information that if our adversaries got a hold of, could and would and probably did cause harm or even death to these human, intelligence sur- these human intelligence sources. The Department of Justice has spent quite some time investigating Hillary Clinton for this wrongdoing, and they finally notified her, at least according to sources, that she can expect to be indicted for violating the Espionage Act. The Espionage Act deals with the intentional or unintentional handling, mishandling of classified information, and she could face prison time for such a crime if she is convicted, in addition to being prohibited from ever running for office. Oh, wait a second. Did I say Hillary Clinton? I meant Donald Trump. The Department of Justice has notified Donald Trump that he can expect to be indicted, but Hillary Clinton, no, 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 no. We are going to talk about all this and more right now, so let's get to it. Imagine for one second that all these headlines that we've seen all over the place today about the Department of Justice notifying Donald Trump, or at least sources associated with the Department of Justice telling people close to Donald Trump that he can expect to be indicted any day now for mishandling, allegedly mishandling, classified information. Imagine if this were not about Donald Trump. Imagine if this were about Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton, who, when she was Secretary of State during the Obama-Biden administration, kept classified information on a homebrew email server. So we're talking not about paper documents. We're not even talking about digital documents that are on a computer that has uh, protection against hacking, against our foreign adversaries. The highest ranking diplomat in our country, Hillary Clinton, as Secretary of State. This is the top secret information. Imagine for a second if we saw these headlines. Hillary Clinton, notified that she would be indicted. Or imagine Biden, think about Biden's Corvette. It was practically loaded with boxes and boxes and boxes and boxes of classified documents from his presidency and his vice presidency all the way back to his days in the Senate. We're talking about decades of these documents sitting next to his crackhead son. His crackhead son drove his Corvette. Imagine if these headlines were about Joe Biden. Joe Biden notified by the Department of Justice that he would be indicted for mishandling classified information. He could face charges related to the Espionage Act. He could serve time in prison. He might be prohibited from ever running for political office again. Imagine if this were Vice President Pence. Pence also had classified documents in his home, but sources told Pence that he wouldn't be facing any charges, no indictment for Mike Pence. What about Barack Obama? For nearly a decade Barack Obama had his classified documents associated with his administration just stored in a storage unit in Chicago. Were they were they protected against hackers? Were they really were they really secure? We don't know. Maybe they were, maybe they weren't. No one cares at all. He was going to scan them and digitize them for his presidential library, but did he ever do it? I don't know. Maybe they were just sitting in a bunch of banker's boxes in a in an air-conditioned locker somewhere in Chicago. Chicago, the safest city in the United States, a city known for being, uh, being uh, avoiding thievery and burglary and other kinds of violent crimes. Imagine if these headlines were about one of them, but of course the headlines are not about them because we are living in a banana republic. We're living in a scenario, it's not hypothetical anymore. We, we've spent decades now talking about if we don't stop what the left is doing, soon we will have a country that's on the point of no return. It's not, this isn't futuristic anymore. We are now living in a a, a, a divided nation where there are two sets of rules, one for the left and one for the right. And it's not just social rules and cultural rules. These are, our, our justice system has been weaponized and treats people who are Republican differently than it treats people who are Democrats. President Trump, let me remind you. What happened with President Trump? Just a little a little rundown because there's going to be a deluge of misinformation from the from the corporate media, from the leftist shills who want nothing more than to see Donald Trump in an orange jumpsuit. They want they want nothing more than to see Donald Trump humiliated by another indictment, another arraignment. We saw that in New York City once. They are craving it again. Once is simply not enough for them. It's like crack for them. They will do anything. They'll sell their arm and their leg just to get Donald Trump indicted again. But let's remember what happened here. When Donald Trump left the White House, he took with him some banker's boxes full of documents. This is normal, it's typical. What he took with him was souvenirs from his administration, including reportedly a letter that Kim Jong-un had written him. Now. Most communications between a president and whoever the president is communicating with belong to the United States government. They are not the property of the president as an individual. This is similar to you and I, right? If we work for a company and we have uh, an email account that's been issued by that company and we send emails and we receive emails on that account, even even if sometimes those emails are more personal in nature, when we leave that company... The the company revokes our access to that email account, and those emails are the property of the company that we work for, they're not our property. This is normal. That's the same with the United States government, and it's even a, a step further with our government because presidents are elected by the people, they are our servants. We have laws that require transparency so that we know what a president is doing as our elected representative, however, There are some things that presidents are allowed to take with them. There are some personal effects that presidents have ownership of when they leave the Oval Office that do not belong to the United States government. It was these types of things that President Trump took with him when he went to Mar-a-Lago. He packed these things in banker's boxes. There there was actually a video of one of his staffers taking this to Marine One as President Trump left the White House after the inauguration of Joe Biden. He took them to Mar-a-Lago. He stored them in Mar-a-Lago. And then the National Archives reached out to him. The National Archives said, you know what? We want you to keep some of these documents in a more secure place because some of them potentially have sensitive information associated with them. And President Trump's team, his lawyers, when they were notified by the National Archives, they said, okay, no problem. And they moved these documents to a secured location. This secured location was physically secured by a lock that was uh, approved by officials in the Biden administration, whether this was the Secret Service or the FBI or the National Archives. There was agreement about moving these documents to a different location. The National Archives then asked for some of these documents back. They said, hey, we think you have some documents that that don't actually belong to you. And President Trump said, okay, you can come here and you can talk to my lawyers about what you can take back and what I'm allowed to have. President Trump reportedly felt pretty possessive of these documents because he felt that most of them belonged to him and he wanted to keep them. There's also... I would say, a strong likelihood that some of these documents he wanted to keep because he anticipated false attacks from the left, and these documents contained evidence that would help exonerate him when he faced these false allegations. We don't know that for a fact, but there's a strong likelihood that that's the case. So there was a little tension between the Trump team and the team from the National Archives. Um, The National Archives wanted even more access and more access and more access. Trump's team complied and complied and complied. And finally, there was a little standoff. Trump refused to return some of the documents that they wanted and the National Archives wanted to take all of them. And it culminated in an FBI raid. The FBI raided Mar-a-Lago, the residence of President Trump, including things like Barron Trump's room and Melania's closet and the private 45 office of Donald Trump. They violated the privacy of the president of the United States over a dispute over who owns certain documents. And then of course, we had these FBI agents that posted photographs online of classified folders. So when classified documents are viewed, they come in um, with a cover sheet. It's like a manila envelope that you fold over the classified documents. So even if those documents are sitting on your desk, other people can't accidentally glance and see the information. They're supposed to be hidden underneath this cover. So the FBI, to prove that they weren't, just, they weren't just weaponizing the power of the federal government against Donald Trump because they don't like him, because why would we think that? It's not like they have a history of doing that just a couple years ago when Donald Trump was president and during his campaign in 2015 and after he was inaugurated in 2016. They published a photograph, published it, this super secret information that was so sensitive and needed to be uh, secured by our FBI raid of the resident residents of the president. They posted a photograph showing all of these folders laying on the floor of Mar-a-Lago. We don't know what classified information was actually in these envelopes. These could have just been cover sheets. Wherever there's classified information, there's a billion cover sheets. Anybody who's ever dealt with classified information knows this. There are more classified cover sheets than there are documents because you never wanna be without them. But the FBI wanted to prove their point that they were just, these fed boys were going in there and doing the right thing because President Trump, who knows what he was doing? The Washington Post and others said maybe he was selling nuclear secrets to North Korea or some such utter garbage. And now, The Department of Justice has notified Donald Trump's team that Donald Trump is going to be indicted. Even though almost every other high-ranking politician who has served as president or secretary of state or vice president also had classified information at their residence, those people are not being charged, only Donald Trump. And remember, something sets Donald Trump apart from these other high ranking politicians. Donald Trump was the president of the United States. The president of the United States, when he is in office, has the sole authority to unilaterally declassify any information that he so chooses at any time for any reason without an official act. If 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 declassified information is going to be declassified at a lower level, There's an arduous bureaucratic process that must be undertaken in order to declassify the information. But the president, the president can simply say, I declassify that information, and so it is. In fact, President Trump says he had a standing order to declassify information that he took with him to Mar-a-Lago, so it allowed him to transport that information to Mar-a-Lago. So even if the Fed boys that strew all of the, the classified document cover sheets on the floor of Mar-a-Lago and then tweeted about it, even if that was classified information, President Trump said that he had declassified it. President Trump had the sole authority to do so. There is no proof otherwise. And the burden of proof, remember, when there is a charge, when the Department of Justice indicts someone, the burden of proof is on them. They don't come to President Trump and say, prove to us that you declassify this. They have to provide the proof and they have none. We are now in this future that we predicted 10 years ago, in this future that we warned about, where there are two standards and and what you are going to be charged with or whether you actually will face true justice or warped justice now depends on your political ideology. There's a reason that the Department of Justice is charging President Trump. It's not because they're worried about classified information and it being insecure, our adversaries getting hold of it. Remember, this was secured to the satisfaction of the National Archives. It's in paper, it's on the premises of Mar-a-Lago, which in and of itself is secured by the Secret Service. They're not worried about whether whether this classified information is going to be made public, whether our enemies are going to get their hands on it. They didn't care when Hillary Clinton had classified information. They didn't care when Joe Biden had classified, Hillary Clinton had it in her closet, Joe Biden had it in his Corvette in his garage. They didn't care about any of that. They care about this because they want to charge Donald Trump with the Espionage Act because, yes, they want to see him in prison. But more importantly than that, Part of the conviction, if you are convicted of of a charge related to the Espionage Act is you are not allowed to run for president of the United States. They are so afraid of Donald Trump that they have to fabricate charges against him in order to weaponize the courts to prevent him from being elected by the people of the United States. It's ironic that these same leftists talk about protecting our democracy, saving our democracy when they themselves are subverting it. The precedent that this is setting is not just that our voices are being subverted by by government officials, by leftists in our government when it comes to voting for the president that we want to represent us in the Oval Office. This precedent is being set, set to be weaponized against us as individuals. They constantly want, they want us to constantly be in fear of being in violation of some law. The the dream of the left, I've said this for a long time, the dream of the left is to have all of us as conservatives, maybe even liberals too. They wanna control everyone. It's not just that they wanna control us. They want every citizen to be in a state of, of law breaking. They want every citizen to have violated some technicality or operated in some gray zone that they can willfully misrepresent in order to charge us. Because if we live in this fear, if they have this, hanging over our heads, even if it's completely unjustified, then we will be compliant. We will not rock the boat. We will not dissent. This truly is, this truly is a pivotal moment in our country. And this is what President Trump posted about it on Truth Social. He says, how can the Department of Justice possibly charge me who did nothing wrong when no other presidents were charged, when Joe Biden won't be charged for anything, including the fact that he has 1,800 boxes, much of it classified, and some dating back to his Senate day, when even Democrat senators are shocked. Also, President Clinton had documents and one in court. Crooked Hillary deleted 33,000 emails, many classified, and wasn't even close to being charged. Only Trump, the greatest witch hunt of all time. And I gotta say, he's totally right. He is 100% right. His former Vice President, Mike Pence, announced that he's running for presidential Republican nominee for president in 2024. And I gotta tell you, this is a real head scratcher for me. I, we're gonna, we're gonna listen to what Pence says because he actually, I've never heard Pence go after Trump in this way. Pence didn't say a critical word about President Trump for the entirety of the four years that he was Trump's vice president. But now, uh, this is about as feisty as you can imagine Mike Pence might ever be, take a listen.
1: Now given our record, it might be fair to ask why I'm challenging my former running mate. January 6th was a tragic day in the life of our nation, but the American people deserve to know that on that day, President Trump also demanded that I choose between him and the Constitution. Now voters will be faced with the same choice. My former running mate continues to insist that I had the right to overturn the election. But President Trump was wrong then, and he's wrong now. I had hoped he would come around and see that he had been misled about my role that day. But that was not to be. President Trump, he described Vladimir Putin as a genius. I know the difference between a genius and a war criminal. And my differences with my former running mate and others, who are in this field also have to do with the values and policies. When Donald Trump ran for president in 2016, he promised to govern as a conservative. And together, we did just that. But today, he makes no such promise. After leading the most pro-life administration in American history, Donald Trump and others in this race are retreating from the cause of the unborn. Sanctity of life has been our party's calling for a half a century, long before Donald Trump was a part of it. But now he treats it as an inconvenience, even blaming our election losses in 2022 on overturning Roe v. Wade. You know what President Trump and others are forgetting is that our administration succeeded not because we compromised or abandoned conservative principles, but because we acted on them. I know we can beat Joe Biden, but we must resist the politics of personality. I believe that anyone who puts themselves over the Constitution should never be president of the United States. And anyone who asks someone else to put them over the Constitution should never be president of the United States again.
0: Okay, let's apply our little analysis framework to Mike Pence for president. The four questions, first of all, can he win? The answer to that is no, and we'll actually circle back to why he can't win in a second. The second question is, does he have a book or some kind of business that he's trying to promote, and this is his publicity stunt? The answer to that is also no. Is he trying to suck up to the front runner in the Republican primary in order to get a, a, a sweet spot in the administration? Well, the answer to that is no. He's, always, he's already been vice president. He doesn't want a lower position than that. He only wants the higher position. So question number four is, is he delusional? The answer to that speaks for itself. <laughs> really, the question we need to ask is, who doesn't hate Mike Pence? Like, who considers themselves a Mike Pence constituent? Who, who looks at Mike Pence and thinks, that's the candidate that I want? You can look at each demographic within the Republican Party. So Trump supporters, or mega, if you will, they hate Mike Pence. They think Mike Pence betrayed President Trump. They're not gonna vote for him. Republican squishes don't like him because Mike Pence is sort of the original, um, the original Bible-thumper, evangelical, religious Republican. They don't like him. The Libertarians don't like him for the exact same reason. The left despises Mike Pence. Before, before, um, before Trump derangement syndrome, became so widespread in the mainstream media that that Mike Pence was just ignored. The left was infuriated that Trump had picked Mike Pence because they used to say that Mike Pence was anti-LGBTQIA, that he was a bigot, that he was hateful, that he was misogynistic. They hated Mike Pence. That was one of their first lines of attack against Trump. So who exactly does Mike Pence think is going to vote for him? Who, who? I can't possibly imagine who would vote for him. So the answer, to why Mike Pence is running for president is number four. Mike Pence, I'm sorry to say, is simply delusional. So Matt Walsh conducted an undercover sting. He sent a producer undercover to a transgender healthcare system to prove that the healthcare system, and I should put that in quotation marks, the healthcare system is completely corrupted by ideology, which we know but it's quite striking to see it when you see it on video and when you hear it in action. So what Matt Walsh's producer did is he attempted to get a recommendation letter for quote unquote transgender surgery. He wanted to essentially be castrated. He wanted to have his testicles removed. That was the surgery he said he was seeking. And you have to get a letter of recommendation for, for this procedure to be done on you. And it took him exactly 22 minutes in, a, in an appointment, a doctor's appointment, with a transgender healthcare specialist in order to get this recommendation to have, um, well, to have his genitals removed, to, to, to be castrated. So Matt Walsh's producer um, went to a, a, actually, you know what? Let's start with bringing Matt Walsh's introduction. This is the way that he intro- introduced this story on his Twitter account. Um, let's put this on the screen so that everybody can read this. His first tweet in the tweet thread that he announced this. He said, breaking the largest trans healthcare providers in the U.S., and he put that in quotation marks, are rubber stamping letters approving gruesome life-altering surgeries. It's such a racket that my producer was approved for testicle removal in 22 minutes. The tape is disturbing, he says. So he, he explains exactly how this went down for his undercover producer. He said, the largest trans healthcare provider in the U.S., Plume Clinic, runs a scam. They sell letters for $150 authorizing surgeries. That's how our producer, Greg Ree, received approval for testicle removal after a 22 minute video call. In his intake form with Plume, Greg provided a fake legal name. He said he had 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 dysphoria in the past, but he stated that he had never experienced it for six months or more. Now guys, this is really important because as Walsh said, under the current version of the DSM-5, that means he doesn't have gender dysphoria. There's a picture here of the intake form, and it says, have you experienced dysphoria as a result of the difference between your gender and sex assigned at birth? And Walsh's producer said yes, but the next question, has this dysphoria ever lasted for six months or longer? The answer is no. And the purpose of posting a picture of the intake form is because even these so-called transgender healthcare systems understand how gender dysphoria is diagnosed, that there must be there must be certain standards that are met or certain characteristics that are matched for this diagnosis to be a thing. For example, you can't walk into somewhere and say, well, I just started I just started um, experiencing discomfort in my body yesterday, therefore I think I have gender dysphoria. The actual medical diagnosable definition requires you to feel this way for longer than six months. Walsh's producer said no. He had never experienced this for longer than six months. That right there should have disqualified him for a diagnosis of gender dysphoria, let alone what this transgender healthcare system approved him for. Walsh goes on to tweet, Plume quickly scheduled Greg for a video interview anyway. He assumed the identity, Chelsea Bussey. He didn't even attempt to pass. He badly mispronounced the name of the surgery he wanted. He made it clear he didn't know what the effect of the surgery would have. Nevertheless, Plume's nurse practitioner said she wanted to write the most, quote, solid letter possible to justify surgery. Greg tells her that he once wrote an essay in school about being a woman, which everyone thought was ridiculous. And we have this video that I'd like to play for you. It is quite something. This video is, there's a nurse practitioner from Plume Clinic that is doing a telehealth phone call with Matt Walsh's producer who is asking for this surgery. And and the nurse practitioner says, Okay, tell me about your journey with gender dysphoria, and this is what happens. Um, give me a little bit of history with your gender dysphoria. That may kind
1: of help me. I wanna, I wanna make this letter as as solid as possible to be like this organically
0: is definitely needed. I'll tell you, I'm happy to. So when I was, I was in school, and I actually uh, wrote a big essay um, for admission to a club about how I didn't feel like my biological sex went along with how I felt and and I told people that and they thought it was ridiculous <laughs> so because they thought I just I just look like a guy so they like this, this is ridiculous as Matt Walsh said before I don't think that this producer was even attempting to pass he was trying to fail seeing if they would fail him because that's ridiculous what he just described and everyone should know that nonetheless um, nonetheless the nurse practitioner from this transgender health clinic. Plume Clinic didn't bat an eye. Walsh goes on to say Greg also tells Plume's nurse practitioner that his father has been prescribing him hormones for years. The nurse doesn't question this in any way. Instead, she says the arrangement is perfect. Three days later, Plume sent this letter to Chelsea Bussey, who does not exist, saying he was experiencing significant ongoing gender dysphoria. The letter strongly recommended, quote unquote, Chelsea for testicle removal. This is what the letter said. To whom it may concern, Chelsea Bussey is a patient in my care at Plume Health. She has been a patient here since the 15th of May, 2023. She identifies as a trans woman and uses she, her pronouns. This gender identity is well established. By my independent evaluation of Chelsea Bussey, she meets the criteria for gender dysphoria. She's identified as her affirmed gender for six years and has been living as or expressing her affirmed gender for over two years. She has been on hormone therapy since April, 2021. But here comes the good part. Despite these interventions, She reports significant ongoing gender dysphoria. She is seeking orchiectomy, that's the removal of the testicles, to help alleviate gender dysphoria and it is my professional opinion that she would benefit greatly, both medically and psychologically from orchiectomy. This procedure has been defined as medically necessary by the World Professional Association of Transgender Health, WPATH, to treat gender dysphoria. Chelsea Bussey has met the WPATH criteria for gender dysphoria and is an appropriate candidate for orchiectomy. Now that in and of itself is fraudulent. That's a lie, because on the intake forum, this undercover producer says that he has not experienced sustained discomfort in his own body, which would mean that he should not be dis- he should not be diagnosed with gender dysphoria. Walsh goes on to say the letter kept capitalizing orchiectomy without the pronoun "an" before it, as if it's just as if it's just been copy pasted into a template. Greg followed up to learn why he had been diagnosed with gender dysphoria and Plume admitted they just used letter templates provided by WPATH. This is the text message from Greg. Just checking on this to make sure this will be okay in the letter. I'm not really considering myself dysphoric, so wanted to check on that one thing. Otherwise the letter looks great, thank you. Plume Clinic responded and said, hi Chelsea, I will page your provider on this to see what she says. I know we write letters based on WPATH templates, but I can ask your provider if it is necessary to have it, and if not, perhaps it can be removed. Walsh says later, Plume's nurse practitioner confirmed that in order for the surgery to be paid for, the dysphoria diagnosis would need to remain. At the same time, the nurse appeared confused as to why Chelsea Bussey had requested testicle removal in the first place. Walsh says this scam is the cutting edge of trans healthcare. After launching just a couple years ago, Plume now operates in 41 states, and another transgender healthcare clinic, a similar one to Plume, called Folk's, is in 47 states. How is it possible they've expanded so quickly? It's fraud. Attorneys general across the country should investigate this. We should demand that they investigate this. This is medical fraud. If a healthcare provider at any level, an earth- a nurse practitioner, a physician assistant, a doctor, a chiropractor, a dentist, anybody, was practicing this kind of quack medicine in order to defraud the insurance company in the name of ideology for anything else besides the transgender ideology, they would be put in prison. But because it's the transgender ideology, they're getting away with it. This is the same thing that I mentioned before. We are living in a world right now where there are two standards, one for Republicans and one for Democrats, not socially, not culturally, legally. Democrats are allowed to break the law. Liberals are allowed to break the law. Marxists are allowed to break the law. But Republicans, Republicans, if you even, if you even look, look in a dissenting, cast a dissenting glance at the left, you will be thrown in prison. You will be indicted. You will be arraigned. Meanwhile, in New York City, I don't know if you guys have seen these pictures. This, these are quite crazy. There's wildfires in Canada and the smoke has blown down and covered New York City. The air quality in New York City is so polluted, it's rating as some of the, the worst air quality New York has ever seen. The airports have been shut down because there's no visibility. You couldn't even see the sunrise this morning when the sun came up uh, because it, it's covered in orange. I mean, these pictures look fake. The pictures, the, the pictures look like something... Um, out, of, out of the middle of a dust storm, it's horrendous. It's been it's been marked as the air quality is so bad it's actually dangerous to be outside in. And of course, the left is quick to capitalize on this. They try to make this part of their political agenda. They say, oh, all this smoke and all this pollution coming from the wildfires in Canada, it's because of climate change. Wildfires have increased because we haven't cut our carbon emissions because we still use those darn fossil fuels. If only we were a civilization in the dark. If only we didn't have any of the modern innovations that have allowed our society to prosper. If only we could just abolish all use of fossil fuels, then, then everything would be okay. They say, here's the thing. This is factually incorrect. It is simply fake news, what they're saying. Wildfires are not caused by climate change. If you go to uh, Frontline Wildfire Defense, it's frontlinewildfire.com, they list the most common causes of wildfires. So I thought we should read through some of these to uh, educate the leftists who are trying to exploit this really kind of freaky thing that's happening in New York for their own political gain. So the short answer to what causes wildfires the most, well, I regret to inform you that it's mostly caused by people. It's not necessarily all arson, sometimes it's arson, but most of the time it's uh, people burning debris. Debris causes wildfires, you know, embers from that can can fly and spark wildfires if it's a particularly dry type of, type of day or time of year. Unattended campfires are one of the largest causes of, of these wildfires, people that don't properly put out their, their campfire or that walk away from a burning campfire. Electrical power, Um, Electrical power is also the cause of some wildfires. And then, of course, we have things like discarded cigarettes and lightning and arson. So most of those, except lightning, I think all of the ones that I mentioned except lightning, are human-caused. So the answer is that humans cause wildfires. It is not caused by something related to climate change. The left is trying to tell you that it's climate change, but they are simply trying to exploit your emotions and maybe your fear if you live in New York City. There are reports that people are going to grocery stores and hoarding food the way that they would in preparation for a tornado, even though this is not a tornado. It's not, it's not necessarily a severe weather event. It's a severe weather condition um, that's that's, yes, I guess manifesting in the weather, but it's not caused by mother nature. It's caused by the people that set the wildfires. So the Wall Street Journal has exposed Instagram as being a network for pedophiles. And it's this is really horrendous, horrendous stuff. Your stomach will churn reading about what's happening on Instagram. But it's funny because I don't let my daughter watch any television. She doesn't watch any screens. She doesn't have a, ta- a tablet, nothing. Like I am, I'm I'm zero tolerance on screens and um, I get some flack for that. Some people are like, oh, come on. There's some stuff that you can let her watch. You can let her watch some old fashioned stuff. And, Besides, you know, uh, part of an episode of Andy, the Andy Griffith show here and there, no, it's nothing. I don't intend to let her have access to television or screens. It's certainly not social media. And this is why. This is why. Let me read you what the Wall Street Journal exposed about Instagram. They say, Instagram, the popular social media site owned by Meta Platforms, that of course is the parent company of Facebook owned by Mark Zuckerberg helps connect and promote a vast network of accounts openly devoted to the commission and purchase of underage sex content. This according to investigations by the Wall Street Journal and researchers at Stanford University and the University of Massachusetts Amherst. Pedophiles have long used the internet, the Wall Street Journal writes, but unlike the forums and file transfer services that cater to people who have interest in illicit content, Instagram doesn't merely host these activities, its algorithms promote them. Instagram connects pedophiles and guides them to content sellers via recommendation systems that excel at linking those who share niche interests, the journal and academic researchers found. Though out of sight for most on its platform, the sexualized accounts on Instagram are brazen about their interests. The researchers found that Instagram enabled people to search explicit hashtags such as pedohor and preteen sex and connected them to accounts that used the terms to advertise child sex material for sale. This is just the tip of the iceberg here. The other hashtags that are used, the other descriptions that are put in the bios of these accounts, which either sell children for sex or sell child sexual abuse material, both of which are against federal law, some of the most egregious crimes on earth, are too unspeakable to even even talk about. I don't want them to get into the algorithm of everywhere that we're publishing this show. We'll post this entire article on lizwheeler.com so that you can read it for yourself. But one of the things that I find very interesting about the reaction to this story is that people are automatically um, calling for government regulation in response to this. They're saying, well, the government should get involved in disallowing children from being on social media. The government should get involved and make more rules for social media companies to follow. And don't get me wrong, if there is evidence that Facebook and Meta and Instagram are are allowing a federal crime to occur on their website, then the federal government should indict them. The federal government should charge them. The federal government already has the authority via laws already on the books to take care of this problem. That's not what I'm talking about. That they should be held accountable to the fullest extent of the law. But here's the thing, this is not inherently a problem with social media. Social media can be destructive, yes, it can. We know that for a fact. We know that studies show that the more time people spend on social media, the more depressed they are, the less socially active they are, the more perhaps gender dysphoric they are, the more that they are indoctrinated with radical leftist ideologies, the higher their rates of uh, of mental issues. I mentioned anxiety and depression, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, all of these things are impacted by overuse of social media. But one aspect, of this is not being discussed at all. And this aspect is parents, parents' involvement. When children are exploited on social media, we should first ask the question, why are children on social media in the first place? What are, what are children doing with smartphones and tablets and access to the internet? This is the purview of parents first before the government to keep their children off social media, to, to, to disallow young people from being in a position to be exploited in the first place. It's like you wouldn't let your child walk through an alley in Las Vegas at 4 a.m. Why? Because there would be a risk of them being assaulted or murdered or raped or abducted or harming themselves intentionally or otherwise with drug users and prostitution. You would never let your child do that. Why would you let them walk through a similar minefield on Instagram? Why would you allow them to have access to this? This is, it's beyond poison, it's deadly. And nobody's talking about this aspect of it. And I understand that that this is not always um, children accessing, not always children being exploited on Instagram who, who come to Instagram for other purposes. It's not like pedophiles are reaching out to them, but pedophiles do reach out to them. Pedophiles do groom children online. Pedophiles do um, target young children that are on these social networks. Sometimes that's how they recruit children, through social media. So yes, the government should hold Meta accountable to the fullest extent of the law, but parents need to step up and keep their children off these garbage websites, off of them. And Facebook and Meta and Instagram ought to be I mean, ashamed seems like a tame word to describe what they should be feeling right now. They've spent all this effort the last five, six, seven years stifling our conversations about vaccines, about COVID-19, about masks, about January 6th, about election, presidential election 2020. We weren't allowed to say any of that, or we had a fact check slapped on it. It was it was uh, identified by their censors like that. If I post a story to this day about the COVID-19 vaccine and use any word associated with it, COVID or jab or shot or vax or vaccine, within one minute, that story has a little a little uh, overlay on the bottom that says, this is misinformation. This is misleading. Learn the facts about COVID-19. I find it very hard to believe that Facebook and Meta and Instagram cannot in the way that they identify so-called misinformation about topics that they don't like, that they can't identify pedophile rings operating on their platforms. A congressional investigation should be launched into these into these social networks that are doing this. And again, they should be held accountable to the fullest extent of the law. If you haven't already signed up for my email newsletter, please do so at lizwheeler.com slash email. Again, I'm going to post this whole article. For those of you that want to read the entire report, it's gruesome. It's excellent reporting, which I cannot always say for the corporate media. Uh, Lizwheeler.com slash email, and we'll send it right to your inbox, and you can read it for yourself. Thank you for watching today. Thank you for listening. I'm Liz Wheeler. This is The Liz Wheeler Show.